Welcome to Watch Therefore. Our Savior Jesus told us to watch for His coming, and the signs that He spoke of are all around us, shouting, Watch Therefore, and be ready. So join me, Dove Schwartz, as we learn to watch and prepare for the coming of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hi, this is Ray Jensen with Calvary Chapel, Pearland. And I'm glad to be here on Watch Therefore Radio. You can follow us through watchtherefore.tv. That's our website, watchtherefore.tv. And we'd like you to sign up for our monthly newsletter. And so that you could also be prepared for our upcoming TV program that's coming in January. Also, we have our podcast that uh, you can keep up with the podcast so you can listen anytime through your mobile device. Uh, For those of you who have Apple devices... You can use your podcast app to find, do a search for Watch Therefore Radio. And for those of you who use Android, you can use the Stitcher app. Use the Stitcher app to look for Watch Therefore Radio, and you can keep up with our podcast and not miss a thing. And again, the great thing about podcasting is you don't have to wait for a scheduled time. You can listen anytime you want. I love podcasting. So thank you for being with me here today. I would like to talk about what I call the R word. The R word. It is repentance. It's a bad word out there. People don't like to hear about repentance. But you know what? If you look at it through the biblical perspective that God tries to give it to us, repentance is a gift. It really is. It is a tremendous gift that God would even allow us, we the sinner, to do such a thing. You know, we have to remember, we are the sinners here, and God is holy, He is pure, and He allows us to repent. Yes, you've got your skeletons in your closet, you've got things you've done that you may not be too proud of, but there is repentance, that's turning around, turning around and coming back to Jesus. And I'm, it's so foremost on my mind, because we live in a day and age where we really need repentance. There's so much sin in the world, and People are trying to say that what the Bible says is sin. Well, that's not sin anymore because we've redefined it or now it's socially acceptable or now it's politically correct and all these all these words that people come up with. Hey, I've got news for you. What God's word says is sin. It's still sin. Nothing has changed. It's still sin. But you know what? There's still repentance too. And I'm thankful for that. When I read in Exodus 34... We see that Israel in the previous chapter, they had just made the golden calf. God had just taken them out of Egypt. He got them out of there and out of their bondage. And, you know, we have a bondage called sin. And so they they just came out of Egypt and they made a golden calf because Moses was up on the mountain for such a long time. They They thought, oh, he's probably gone by now. Let's just make our own God and worship that. And they did. They made the golden calf and they bowed before it. And they said, hey, this calf here... This is your God that took you out of Egypt. And so they didn't just sin. They, they boy, they bowed down and served a false God and sinned. And, you know, repentance, again, God still allows it. Because in the next chapter in Exodus 34, let me read to you from verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, because, you see, Moses had just recently come down and smashed the Ten Commandments out of anger. So he's telling him in Exodus 34, verse 1, And the Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. 
So be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And so, you know, I think about these tablets that Moses broke. They were a tangible item. You could touch them. And they represented God's unique relationship with Israel. They had the Ten Commandments on it. It was written by God himself. And it was a viewable, touchable representation of God's relationship with Israel. And Moses came down and smashed those tablets when he came down from the mountain and found Israel worshiping the golden calf. And I used to think, oh, man, I would be afraid to be Moses for breaking those tablets that God himself wrote on. But wait a minute. Who really broke the commandments here? Did Moses break the commandments or was it Israel by bowing to the calf that really broke the real commandments? You see, the real commandments, they're non-tangible. They are a spiritual thing. And so when Moses broke the stone tablets, it was a representation a harsh representation of what Israel had just done. They had just broken God's covenant. So when it comes to Moses breaking the commandments for Israel, who really did wrong here? Was it Moses or, or the Israel Israelites? I no longer think that Moses should have been scared for breaking those tablets because Moses didn't do anything wrong. He was up on the mountain while the Israelites were breaking the real commandments, and they're the ones who should be scared here. This conveys an idea that we should have a healthy fear of the Lord God. And so, once again, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai with two new tablets that he had chiseled out. Obviously, what we see here with God saying, hey, come back up with two tablets, is that God is about to renew his covenant with Israel. Yes, with those people who just bowed down in front of a golden calf and said, hey, here's the God that brought you out of Egypt. God is saying, hey... Let's renew this covenant again. I'm sorry, but that just makes me stop in amazement. That just gives me a moment of pause to think that God would allow, again, the R word that people say, oh, don't say that. It's so judgmental. No, it's a gift. Repentance. He offered them repentance. Look at what they had just done. And he's telling Moses, hey, Moses, come back up here with two new tablets. We're going to do this again. Oh, wow. Does it strike you how our God is that as forgiving as he is? You know, there's some people that think that if you sin again, you lose your salvation. Sinning will cause God to revoke his promises and take them all away. But I need you to take notice of what's going on right here. God is mad. He is infuriated that Israel had sinned big time. This was no small occurrence here, but what what is God demonstrating by telling Moses to go back up the mountain again with two new tablets? He's demonstrating that he keeps his promises. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. Now, this is no reason for you to say, oh, well, I'm saved. I can go do whatever I want here. Oh, I, hey, look, you may choose your sin, but you do not get to choose the consequences that fly in behind it because they can be pretty bad. And, and those consequences are designed to either straighten you out and to get you to repent or to stop doing it, the, the sin that you were into. Hey, it's not easy. This is not a sin license. But make no mistake, when God makes a promise, he keeps it. He keeps it. God keeping his promises is biblical, and it's truth. It's not something to take lightly, but it's also something you can take comfort in. 
Now, you got to remember, as far as us, we're the center. We are the center. We're the ones that messed up. Don't just point your finger at Israel, oh, how dare you make that golden calf. Hey, you and I both are sinners. We have bowed down to false gods, too. And I want you to show uh, to remember Isaiah 64, 6. It says that all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. You know, the very best, your absolute best. If you took, let's say, everything you've done in your life and you took the top 0.1% best you have ever done in your entire existence, the absolute best that you have, I want you to know the word of God says it is filthy. It is absolutely filthy. And so I say, praise God that he keeps his promises, even though our best, even though our sin causes him, it provokes him to anger. He still today now gives us a way through Jesus Christ to be saved. Let me read you a promise from God's word. Just for example, Romans 10 verse 9, my favorite verse, that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It doesn't say you might be saved. It doesn't say probably will be saved. It doesn't say your chances are fair to good. It says you will be saved. That's a promise, guys. That's that's truth. And God keeps his promises. You know what? You get saved in Jesus Christ, you still carry a sin nature in your flesh. Read about that in Romans 7. Paul talks about this battle. Your sin nature is not eradicated from your body. You still have it. However, when you do sin, repent. That's what Moses is doing here. They have just sinned, and he's speaking on behalf of the people of Israel. Lord God, we've sinned. And God says, Moses... Chisel out two new tablets and come on up. Let's do this again. Oh, that's just good. Do you get comfort from that? This is the God we serve. This is great. You know, it's beyond our capacity to understand the greatness of God's mercy and in his grace. Friends, God is faithful. He is very faithful. Moses, come back. Let's do this again. And, you know, we need repentance in our lives. We need repentance in our lives. He saw that the people had remorse. They were sorrowful. You know, the Bible says godly sorrow is necessary at times because, again, we're the sinner. Godly sorrow gets you repentant, and then that gets you towards looking towards salvation. And so I'm thankful that the Lord is that the Lord God is like this. I mean, this is good stuff. After seeing a picture like this here in Exodus 34, how can you not fall to your knees and thank the Lord God for his mercy and his grace. It's beyond my ability to comprehend that he would allow me, the sinner, you, the sinner, to repent. Is repentance sounding like a bad word anymore? Do you look at it as, oh, don't tell me I need to repent, you're judging me kind of attitude that people give you? Do you see that repentance is a gift of God? It's a gift. When somebody tries to tell you, hey, man, brother, look, I need you to uh, I need to talk to you about this thing that you're doing. It's sinful. Don't get all puffed up in anger and get all defensive. Listen to the brother or your sister in Christ. They're trying to lead you to repentance. And it's fantastic that God allows us to even do such a thing. So I want to take a quick break real quick. And for those of you just getting in your car or whatever, watch Therefore Radio here. 
you can go to watchtherefore.tv, watchtherefore.tv, and you can sign up for our newsletter, for our monthly newsletter to keep up with us. And there's also the podcast for Apple users. You can use the podcast app and Android users. You can use the Stitcher app to search for Watch Therefore Radio, and you can keep up with us. And you'll also be informed about our TV program that's coming up in January. So anyway, I want to move on now and see how God operates in loving mercy, because that's because God is now, he's about to describe his character in a time like this. Israel has just sinned. He's about to describe his character to Moses. And I want to read to you from Exodus 34 and verse 5. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, there up on the mountain, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. Did you just see all that? Did you hear all that? The Lord said, Merciful, gracious and long-suffering, and he also said abounding in goodness and truth. He didn't say he had a fair amount of goodness and truth. He said he abounds in goodness and truth. Like I said, God has more of this goodness than we can measure or comprehend. He has mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. You know, God had just revealed his name to Moses, which means he revealed his character. Did you know that your name means something? Your name means something. You know, I found a website recently. It gives a definition of what your names mean. And you can look your name up and you can find out what its uh, meaning is. And and so, but as verse 5, verse 5 here in Exodus 34, it says, The Lord proclaimed his name. He proclaimed his name. How did he go about doing it? By saying all of these attributes about his character. He said he was merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, and forgiving. He told us who he is. Friends, that's our Lord God of Israel. That's our God who keeps his promises. What a mighty God we serve. He's good, abounding in goodness and grace. Isn't this the kind of God you want to get to know? Uh, You know, I imagine there's people out there listening. You did not know this about the Lord God. Now you're finding out who he is, because this is what's stated in the truth of his word. Does repentance sound like a better word to you now than it used to be? It's a good word. It's a really good word. And so something else that was said here in the passage that I know there's something that really perked some of y'all's ears, and that's where God talks about visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And many of you may have heard it called a generational curse. Why did God mention that here, right after giving the good attributes of his character, did he talk about generational curse? Well, first, we got to remember that God is a jealous God. And jealousy is not necessarily a bad word either. He's a jealous God means he wants all of you 
for him. He doesn't want to share you with the world. He wants all of you. It's like with my wife. Any other man messes with my wife, buddy, let me tell you, there's going to be some words because she belongs to me. She's mine. And I have a righteous jealousy for her because she belongs to me. If you're in Jesus Christ, you belong to the Lord. God has a righteous jealousy for you. He wants all of you. He doesn't want to share you with the world. He wants 100% of your heart. Don't give yourself to the world. And so God is declaring his character, and he speaks about generational curse. He has to, because when Israel had just given themselves to someone else, they had just made a carved image, and, and God is trying to make sure they understand, you belong to me, you're mine. And in Deuteronomy 5, he says, don't make a carved image, any likeness in the heaven or in heaven above or in the earth beneath. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. But, but, guys, you got to really take hold of this, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Do you see that about generational curse falls on who? It doesn't fall on everybody no matter what. The generational curse, he says in Deuteronomy 5, it falls on, quote, those who hate me. But then God switches over and says, but showing mercy to those who love me and keep my commandments. Do you see that? It's like two sides of a coin. On one side, I'll visit you the iniquity on those that hate me, but mercy to those who love me and obey and do what I say. The curse is on those who hate him, but the mercy is on those who love and obey him. Now, what Israel had just done, they made an image and bowed to it. That's what gets God onto generational curse. If you've got false gods in your life that you are serving, money, drugs, pornography, various things in the world, the list goes on and on. Whatever you have made your God, you know, you can't love God and a false God. It's one or the other. You have to love God with everything or you don't. And... Israel had given themselves to someone else, and now that God is talking about, while he gives his character, he talks about the great attributes, but he talks about the generational curse. And that's why he has to say that, that he visits the iniquity on those who hate him. God's trying to say, I don't want this false God worship to go down to the third and fourth generation of your children. God's saying, repent. There it is, that wonderful word again. Repent, turn around and come back to me. Because he's going to be gracious and, and merciful to those who love him. Now, at first, it seems unfair. People may think for God to punish children for the sins of their fathers, but there's more to it than that. You know, the effects of sin are naturally passed down from one generation to the next. When someone has a sinful lifestyle, their children are likely to practice that same sin. It goes down the line. And so, and God's warning to visit the children's, uh, the iniquity of the father's, it's the fact that the children will choose to repeat the sins of their father. See, if you're caught up in a sin problem, you think you've got it compartmentalized unto yourself only, you're really affecting your children. And it's going to affect them down and down and down. So it's going to become their choice to disobey God and follow what they learn from you. In your sin, the sin gets into them. They will follow that same thing. If you're a drug addict, you're liable to be have drug addict kids. Uh, if you're 
an adulterer, it may pass down to them. It, 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 you see what I'm saying? And so it is not wrong for God to punish the sin to the third and fourth generation because those generations are committing the same sins their fathers did by their own choice to commit it. Now, there's a trend today, even in the church, to try to blame every sin on some sort of a generational curse. Like, it's not my fault. I was taught, I was raised like this. I learned it from my parents. Put it on them. Hey, this is not biblical. It's no excuse for anyone to use that kind of pass-the-buck thing. I know people also who are under tremendous pressure because they either think they are under a generational curse from their parents or they believe they're the cause of a generational curse for their kids. If this is you, can I give you some good news? The cure for a generational curse or any curse has always been Jesus Christ Turning in repentance from your sin, turning to Jesus who breaks the curse. It has always been repentance. Whenever Israel turned from their idols to serve the God of Israel, the curse was broken. God would save them. Judges 3 9 says, When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them. Uh, Judges 3.15, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them. You know, if God would give a deliverer to Israel when they cried out to him, he'd certainly do the same for us. And he already has sent us a deliverer, Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. And so if you're worried about a generational curse or whatever sin you've been into, like you've been serving a false god like Israel has been doing here, like with the golden calf, let me give you the answer to your problem. The best news of all, the gospel of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things, all things. What does all mean? It means all. All things have become new. And I love Romans 8, 1 also. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. If you're in Jesus Christ, you believe in him, no condemnation. You see that? That's just good news. Doesn't the gospel just get better and better the more you hear it? God always gives you a way out. God always gives you a way out. Again, I want you to go to watchtherefore.tv and sign up for our podcast uh, and get on our newsletter. We want to keep being able to minister to you. And so before I go, I would like to give you some encouragement. I know that this world has got you beat up and you feel down like you're worthless and you can't do anything. And sometimes you throw your hands in the air and you say, oh, what's it all for? But you know what? Don't let the dying world tell you who you are. Let the living Messiah Jesus tell you who you are. You're not worthless. You're priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you, which means to buy you back. And the death he died was an astronomically high price that would have taken you an eternity in condemnation to pay off. You'd have never got out. Jesus Christ took care of it all, all at once, on the cross, so that you could be saved. And so now take that wonderful gift, that word repentance, and turn around from your sin and come back to Jesus. You're worth everything to him. He's jealous for you. Why? Because he loves you. I hope you're encouraged today. Be blessed. Thanks for listening today. And please join me every day, Monday through Friday, 
unless our Lord Jesus returns for us this week. This program is listener-supported and depends on tax-deductible donations to stay on the air. Give to Watch Therefore and contact me through our website at watchtherefore.tv. You can also send tax-deductible donations to Watch Therefore, P.O. Box 564, Pearland, Texas, 77588. Again, by the web, watchtherefore.tv, and mail, watchtherefore, P.O. Box 564, Pearland, Texas, 77588. You can also call me right now at 713-624-0943. That's 713-624-0943. Keep watching for Messiah Jesus.